2024, if I want to get into networking, give me a path, give me skills that I should study. I'll just throw one out. We've, we've always mentioned Linux, but perhaps you can like mention the skills, top five, top 10 skills that you think I should get. The one thing that people are always missing is understanding the fundamentals. Everyone thinks that configuring the boxes is the important thing. It's not. That's trivial. Once you know what you need to do, then it's just figuring out the right command syntax. And if you know what you look, you're looking for, every box these days has some help functions. So. I mean, I always ask this question, but it's important because there's a lot of people watching in the beginning of their journey or they're moving from, say, some other kind of sphere into, into networking or whatever. Um, so it's still have value in 2024? Absolutely. Um, Ivan, I just want to stop right here and talk about your website, IP Space. And there's been some changes and there's some good news for people who want to watch content for free, right? Ivan, before we even get started with the interview, you mentioned something offline about you were writing viruses when you were younger. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I'm pro- I was probably like 16, 17. And let me add that uh, this was a tightly contained proof of concept. <laughs> <laughs> I was always scared that the whole thing would escape in the wild. Yeah, we just wanted to, I was at the university at that time, we wanted to understand how things really work. And at that time, uh, there were like two types of uh, commonly used viruses. You remember when you still had to boot your PC with a floppy disk? And if that floppy disk had a virus, then that virus would be transferred. And then the next time someone would insert a floppy disk in that machine, the virus would be copied to the floppy disk. So we figured out how to do that. And the other one was, uh, and that was really hard uh, under the old MS-DOS because uh, code was, uh, oh no, it was relocatable, but not as easy as it is today. So... You know, the, the, the viruses you have where the virus attaches itself to an executable program. Yep. When you run that program, it finds some other program and checks whether that other program already has this virus. And if not, it, atta- it attaches itself to that one as well. So that was also pretty easy to do. I was always scared that the whole thing would just escape and contaminate everything I'm doing, which would be a nightmare for me. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't do that because you might have ended up in jail and uh, had a different path. Yeah, that would be a different podcast then. <laughs> hey everyone, it's David Bumble back with the amazing Ivan. Ivan, you've got to introduce yourself because people who are watching this video may have not may have not seen our previous videos. And I always butcher your surname, but Ivan Pepelniak, welcome. That was excellent. So you, you you had years of practice, I can see that. <laughs> That's right. So Ivan, tell us about yourself. Uh, you've been in networking for about two years, is that right? Uh, two and a half, probably, <laughs> on and off. Uh, I started in late 70s, probably. Uh, in those days, we had the PDP-11 and the VAX-11 750s, and we were running DECnet between them on these lines that had the maximum speed of 2,400 bits per second. That's insane. That would be 300 bytes for you guys, which is like, uh, what, 10, no, 100 pixels in your JPEG image (laughs) every second. Ivan, what I really appreciate about you, and just for everyone who hasn't seen our previous videos, Ivan doesn't mince his words. He doesn't beat around the bush, and that's what I really appreciate. Ivan, you've been in this game for a long time, and you know we, we often like to laugh. Vendors come up with the new unicorn hype, and um, 
one of the big elephants in the room at the moment is AI. I want you to cut through all the hype and all the nonsense and give it to us. You know, what's your opinion about AI? And, you know, should I become a network engineer in 2024? Well, uh, let's start with the second part. Should I become the networking engineer in 2024? Obviously, I would say yes. I never regretted being one. It's an interesting life, to say it politely. Uh, it's definitely not a nine-to-five job. So if you, if you need a nine-to-five job, go into public service. Don't become a networking engineer. And then you will, there you will rubber stamp the papers and you will have an excellent life for the next 40 years. Anyway, networking engineer. Do keep in mind that we are plumbers. Uh, so all the sexiness is gone from the network engineering. If you, if you t- tell a girl you lie because I'm a guy or whatever your preference is, hey, I'm a networking engineer, they will call like, yeah, so. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh, so it's not sexy. It's interesting. It's still interesting. It's more complex than most other IT disciplines, I was told. Not, not my words. Someone from HP once told me that they freely allow people to migrate between, you know, different disciplines within the company because you get bored after a while and they try to retain people so you can move from storage to servers to security to whatever. But he said, well, unless you're in networking and then they don't allow you to move because (laughs) it takes so long to get someone fluent with networking that no, you can't move out. Uh, if you are that special type of person, then yes, absolutely become a networking engineer. If you're looking for an easy life, if you're looking for a sexy job, if you're li- looking for brand recognition, if you're l- looking to attract other people with your, you know, infinite sexiness, uh, then maybe you should ch- choose something else. I think the, the example we've used in the past is uh, plumbing, electrical, transmission, stuff like that. It's, it's, it's not sexy, but it's totally necessary. Yeah, and uh, there will always be jobs for people doing that stuff because the world has to keep running. It's interesting. I was interviewing someone at Cisco and they were saying, um, you know, the world today, I mean, I don't, we don't have to say this, but it's obvious, you know, relies totally on networks. If the internet went down or an ISP got hacked, you know, you're talking food problems. You're talking about huge problems to like life. Well, I don't think it's that hard. So if uh, an ISP gets hacked, okay, yeah, a lot of people will be inconvenienced and you won't be able to, I don't know, do e-banking. You won't be able to have your favorite food delivered in 20 minutes. (laughs) But I don't think anyone would die of hunger yet. However, if someone manages to hack the mission-critical systems like uh, power transmission control or waterworks or trains or, you know, one of those things that should never be connected to public internet, but we all know they sometimes are, or if someone hacks a hospital, then yes, you could get to loss of life. But uh, that's not because of networking, that's because people are simply not prepared for lack of networking. I mean, hospitals were running, you know, and uh, saving people for the last two or 3,000 years, the last time I looked. And they only had networks for the last 10 years. So if they can't do their job without networks today, maybe there's something wrong with their processes. Let's, let's talk about this, the elephant in the room, right? AI. Um, I've seen people demonstrate AI talking to network devices. And I, I think a concern a lot of people have, especially young people is, it's pointless going into tech, whether that's cybersecurity, whether that's networking, whatever, because AI is just going to eat all the jobs. And uh, 
the what was it the power looms will eat all the jobs and we will all be jobless yep said whoever in 1800 something and oh the tractors will eat all the farmer jobs and all the farmers will be jobless uh what else well whatever you you, you know the drill yep uh, every time there is this new technical innovation, there is someone, you know, earning money and today clicks and views, uh, claiming how it will take away all the jobs. And it turns out that A, you still need local presence. Yes, uh, you know, some jobs are going to go away. Uh, for example, I was just uh, listening to a PR podcast yesterday or so, and they were explaining how the UK royal family is using AI to judge the uh, mindset of comments uh, that people are making about them on social media. Yep, interesting. So instead of, you knowing a PR consultant goes sifting through the comments and saying, well, 30 of them are positive and 50 of them are negative and people are saying that things, and honestly, anyone can do that. Uh, they are just using AI to do it. And obviously AI can process not 50 comments, they can, it can process 50 million comments. But if your job is, you know, as simple as processing social media comments, then well, don't uh, be surprised when you're replaced. On the other hand, if you need a plumber, <laughs> someone still has to come to your house. Uh, if you need a device to be fixed, probably someone still needs to, you know, fix that stuff. And then there's the problem of the unknown unknowns, the things that uh, we can't program or teach the AI how to do or whatever, because, you know, we just can't envision them. I was just writing a blog post today, uh, making fun of that. Uh, you know, good old BGP, the, what is it now, 30-year-old protocol? Yep. Uh, it has one attribute that can be used as a metric, so it's you should compare it among uh, competing entries, but that attribute could be absent. And the original RFC didn't specify what to do when that attribute was absent. So do you ignore it? Do you assume absent equals zero? Or do you assume absent equals infinity? So simple things like that. If you don't tell the AI what to do, it will do something Guess how many times it will be the wrong choice? <laughs> yeah. Well, people also make wrong choices, but at least, you know, we have the capability to uh, step back and recover from them. Because the problem with AI is always the training data, uh, because, you know, that thing doesn't have intelligence. It's called artificial intelligence, but there's no intelligence in it. I mean, it's either statistics or it's decision trees or it's neural networks, which is just statistics on, on steroids, excuse me. <laughs> And that thing needs to be trained and it can be trained either adversarially where it teaches itself, but that works only if you have a very limited domain with very strict rules like chess, go, things like that are a perfect example of that. You can't uh, adversarially train an AI system to detect malware unless obviously you are willing to create a system that will create all possible malware and then, you know, train the other system to... Well, that's actually a good idea. There's your startup idea. <laughs> yeah, great you idea. Can thank me later. <laughs> Someone's probably already doing that. So 
unless you either are able to generate the training set using whatever strict rules, and we know that in real life, the strict rules simply don't work, just look at self-driving cars. Uh, or if you have a very large training set that's pro properly labeled, uh, without that, you know, you can't train your model. And the big news of this year was that someone just trained the large language model on billions and billions of web pages and then sort of filtered out all the bad web pages that the model was trained on so that, you know, uh, it doesn't start behaving like that poor Microsoft Twitter bot that yeah. <laughs> got hardcore Nazi in, what, 30 minutes or something? Yep. So they they made a better uh, better filters this time, but you know it's still statistics. It's still statistical manipulation of uh, whatever it has ingested and has been trained on. There is no inside knowledge. There is no deeper understanding of the world. There is no model of how the world works. It's just uh, hundred billion weights in a neural network. So, you know, it's quite easy to ask it, well, how do you configure something in yeah. uh, Juros or Cisco yeah. or what have you? But as uh, someone nicely said a while ago, it's like you would be asking that question to a sloppy, overhyped uh, intern who never admits he's wrong. I mean, there's huge knowledge in there, but it's all statistics. So always with statistics, you have false positives, you have false negatives. You might get the correct answer. You might get an incorrect answer. Now, as a research tool, that's great. Yeah. So if you want to configure something on Junos and you've never seen Junos before, and you can ask ChatGPT, for example, well, how do you configure BLANS or BGP or what have you on Junos? And it will tell you something. That might or might not be correct. And I have many funny examples where it's not correct. But you know, remember, sloppy, overconfident intern. Uh, so if you are willing to learn Junos by speaking with a sloppy, overconfident intern, well, be my guest. But anyway, you take that and then you start researching. At least you have a starting point. You know yeah. what to search for. And then you get some good examples. And uh, then eventually you figure out how to do things. Uh, a few of my personal examples, and I blogged about them. Uh, I, I asked Chat GPT three and a half, I think, to generate some router configs for a simple three, four router network. Uh, it didn't get even the subnet masks on the loopback interfaces correct. Wow. So it, it, it looked okay, you know? Yeah. If you would glance at the... Oh, and uh, some interfaces were present on one router, but not on the router on the other side of the link. You know, the small details like that, but it looked great. Uh, ChatGPT4 did a better job. Uh, then the other problem I had was uh, now I want to wait for a process in Linux to complete. Yeah. And so I said, well, you know, I am not a Linux uh, guru, so let's ask ChatGPT. And he says, oh, no, that's not a problem. You just use the wait uh, command and that's it. I try that. And of course, he says, well, you know, you can't wait on a process you, can't, you don't own. Well, thank you. You forgot to tell me that. And then I go like, well, how do I wait on a process I don't own? And it's like, oh, you write this C program. Oh, thank you. And in the end, somewhere, uh, some stack overflow or something. So I said, well, forget it. I'll start Googling. In five minutes, I got my answer. There is this 
command that can execute, can look at all processes and uh, do whatever when a process is gone. And well, that was my solution. It's been my experience. I mean, I started, I asked ChatGPT to create some BGP configs and so OSPF configs, and it was, it's very similar. It, it, it looks 90% right, but when you dig into it, it's like it makes some really bad mistakes. If you applied that config on a live network, it'd be a disaster. Well, you know, the worst one I had was I needed the uh, signing of URLs uh, of the AWS S3 URLs. There's this complex mechanism how you have to put this and this together, then you run, run MD5 over it, and you add something else to the hash, and then you run MD5 over it, and disaster. I needed that in Perl. <laughs> okay. Hey, I made a choice uh, <laughs> 15 years ago, <laughs> because in those days, Perl was yeah. the only language that uh, could process PDF files with a library that you didn't have to pay for. So it was. I need it. AWS URL signing in Perl. So I asked the chat GPT, you know, to tell me how to do that. So, oh, no problem. You just install that library and it's all there. And there you go. Installing that library took like uh, three hours because it has so many broken dependencies. It just doesn't install. So I finally got it working, and then I figured out that that library has everything apart from URL sign. <laughs> so ChatGPT just hallucinated that code completely. I didn't give up. So I said, well, you know, now give me pure Perl code for this. And it gave me some pure Perl code, and it didn't work. Two hours later, I figured out that uh, you have to take the binary MD MD5 cache and combine it with everything else, whereas the codes uh, GPT gave me was perfectly correct. Only the hashes were in hex, not in binary. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know how long I spent? And then I found some, some code that probably ChatGPT copied on GitHub. Was exactly the same code, only the function calls were correct. So, just stepping back, the concern is networking could be eaten by AI. Your take on it is that that's not going to happen. Networking is perhaps too complex. There's not enough data, stuff like that. Well, Sorry, go on. Uh, as always, the simple stuff will be eaten by AI. It will not be ChatGPT. It will be some sane solution that uses something like ChatGPT, but probably not that. You could use, you know, one of the smaller models as a language interface. Because parsing and understanding human language and intent of your question is hard. Yeah. And if you can offload that to something, that's beautiful. But then you need some hardcore deterministic knowledge base in the background. Uh, you know, ChatGPT and friends can collect the meaning of your question and then uh, pass that to some plugin and that plugin does the hard work and then uh, ChatGPT and friends glorify that back into English or Chinese or Spanish or whatever text. And that would work beautifully. 
The problem is that someone has to build that knowledge base. So I've seen at Cisco Live when I was there in 2023 in Vegas, they were talking about like AI on firewalls and stuff like that. So it looks like, I mean, there was talk about AI from Cisco and other vendors. It looks like, uh, and Juniper have like AI mist. So that's AI Wi-Fi. Well, that's, that's a totally different thing. We had those things in 1990s. They were called expert systems. The problem is that the definition of AI is that AI is anything that does something that looks like human could be doing it. And gives me lots of money. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a different story. That's why, that's why you need AI in your VC pitch. Yes. If you want to get VC money this year, it better have AI and ML in it and LLM this today. Uh, last year, you didn't need LLM, but this year you do need it. And don't mention OpenFlow anymore, please. That's so outdated. Uh, what else should go into the VC pitch? Cloud. Cloud, yes. Must be cloud. Infinite growth. Total addressable <laughs> market measured in trillions. There's another startup idea. Let's do something with IPv6 because it has trillions of addresses. <laughs> so AI is anything, you know? Yep. Uh, it's decision trees. That uh, stupid thing that tries to troubleshoot your uh, wireless connection on your Windows PC and never gives you any useful answer, that's AI. Because someone built a decision tree saying, well, if this, then this, if not, then that, uh, you know. Then you have decision trees with statistical weights, and it's called fuzzy logic. Then you interview people and you ask people to draw the decision trees for you, and then you hard code the decision trees, or maybe you add some weights to them, and that's expert systems. All that is AI, according to, you know, some definition of AI. And I have no idea what vendors are doing, but, you know, it's easy to claim you're using AI. You just take, you know, something that Windows had forever and now you implement that on your wireless access point and you call that AI. You, you've been doing statistics for a long time. I think you mentioned previously you, you, you were looking at AI for many, many years, right? Well, I was programming in Prolog, which was the AI language of choice in 1980s. I even wrote a system that understood some tiny bit of uh, natural language in Prolog in 1990s. So do you think it's just hype again? It's another hype cycle or is, it, is there actually a change with large language models? The change is that uh, they are so big and have so much knowledge that they seem to be useful to general population. Yeah. Uh, you know, you keep throwing compute cycles and uh, you have 100 billion weights in your statistical model and something good will come out of that. But uh, it's still not intelligence. It can uh, generate things that look intelligent. And if you give it good input data, then it will generate sane answers. But, uh, you know, trying to ask it to uh, find a new law of gravity, yeah. not today. So do you think like people are starting out, always the AI is a big worry. AI is gonna take a lot of the basic jobs. I think you, it's kind of like automation yeah. we've said in the past, right? It's gonna Absolutely. take a very basic job. So where yeah. should I spend my time? Well, find something that AI cannot replace. 
it can either be, I don't know, creativity, it can be human relations, it can be uh, bleeding edge stuff, it can be something that's too small to be automation or AI worthy. So some niche market. Uh, yeah, it will become harder to find something that is uh, not replaceable by AI. But you know, as I always say, if it's easy, then anyone else, everyone else is doing it as well. So why bother? So in, in networking, you become a more of an expert and then you can you can use AI as a template or a beginning place, but you, you've, you've still got to have the, you got to have the intelligence to actually vet it and see if it's good enough to implement and troubleshoot, right? It, well, you know, uh, it, it depends on your level. So yeah, if you're a beginner, then definitely AI is a nice helping tool. I use AI like constantly every day. It's called Grammarly. So, you know, my English is whatever it is and my English grammar is whatever it is, but that thing sanitizes my texts and uh, sometimes I disagree with it and sometimes it's a sloppy intern, uh, but it's pretty good most of the time and makes sane suggestions. So yeah, I go with that most of the time. Well, now, of course, they are more AI enabled than they were. And so it takes away some of my writing style and I yeah. fight that, but that's a different story. Yeah. So anyway, yes, absolutely use it as a tool to help you figure out where it is helpful, figure out what you can offload to AI. That's, you know, things like large language models that, uh, you know, we can just take, uh, they're on the net, you can use them, whatever. Or you could decide that you want to dig deeper and then you can actually start uh, working on stuff and uh, programming stuff like anomaly detection. You take, I don't know, NetFlow data or just interface usage data or whatever data you're collecting in your network and you just start running statistical methods on it and try to figure out, you know, that, well, every Friday the traffic is higher than it is on Wednesdays. And then one Friday the traffic is not higher and that should immediately raise an alert saying, hey, what's going on? There's something wrong with the network. The phones aren't ringing yet, but there's something wrong. We had optical connections for how long? 30 years. Yeah. I still haven't seen a system that would reliably tell you that your optical link will fail in three to five weeks. And it's like, we're measuring errors. The error rate is increasing. You see the trend. You see whether it's exponential or logarithmical. Do something with it. No vendor does that. Yeah, it's amazing because, I mean, with all the hype about AI and all the management stuff, it still feels like... There's so much to do. Yeah, there's so many low-hanging fruits. You just have to, you know, figure out what data you're collecting, what you want to know, and then that's the hard part. What's the best tool for the job? So now I've got. To, I'm going to switch gears, Ivan. Um, we we've mentioned this in in the past, but uh, um, perhaps for people who haven't seen the video, 2024. If I want to get into networking, give me a path. Give me skills that I should study. Um, I'll just throw one out. We've we've always mentioned Linux, but perhaps you can like mention the skills, top five, top ten skills that you think I should get. Well, uh, the one thing that people are always missing is understanding the fundamentals. Everyone thinks that configuring the boxes is the important thing. It's not. 
that's trivial. Once you know what you need to do, then it's just figuring out the right command syntax. And if you know what you look, you're looking for, every box these days has some help functions. So second, as you mentioned, yes, Linux is everywhere. Arista is Linux, Nexus OS is Linux. Yeah, they are hidden behind the scenes, but it's still Linux. Uh, Cumulus is Linux by definition. Uh, Junos is now Linux. It's called Junos Evolved because it evolved to be Linux. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you, oh, iOS XE is Linux. You just can't see it. Yep. But you get the idea. Uh, also, more and more, the servers are integrated with the network. Yeah. So people are running routing demons on the servers. And uh, once you start uh, doing Kubernetes or any other virtual networking, then your server becomes a router. And and most of those servers run Linux anyway. So, you know, getting Linux networking skills is definitely not a bad idea. Uh, I think we mentioned Git the last time. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, for me, Git would be like uh, number two, probably just oh, wow. after the fundamentals. Because, you know, even if you don't care about Linux, and I understand that, is there any reason why you wouldn't have your configuration files under version control? Yeah, good point. I mean, whatever you do, as long as it's in text form, and it can be your blog posts, it can be your credit card numbers, but maybe not credit card numbers. <laughs> <laughs> At least don't push them to GitHub, please. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, don't push your passwords to GitHub. Yep. At least not to public repos. Please. Pretty please. Happens too often. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Whatever is in text form, if you don't have it under version control, you're doing it wrong because you will mess up things and uh, you will make changes. And six months from now, you will have no idea why the stuff is not where it should be and why it has changed. And uh, Git is a lifesaver. We mentioned in the past programming is it, it sounds like it's just something that you have to learn. It's like, like one of those basic skills in networking yeah. these days. Everyone should, you know, speak English at least a bit. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> it's easy for you. Stop laughing. Oh, yeah. So it's easy for me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's so funny when you say about your writing, because I read your writing and I think, man, you write so well. Um, so I don't know what, you know, you, you say that well, you, you, your writing is excellent. Uh, well, uh, that's totally due to a lady I never met and Russ White and one other Cisco guy. My first book was... Horrific. And that editor made miracles and Russ White rewrote, literally rewrote paragraph after paragraph after paragraph in my EIGRP book. So I'm eternally grateful to Russ for improving my English. That's amazing. Just for people who don't know, I've linked Russ's details below as well. He's also written a book uh, recently. Well, he's also got a book on CCST, which I believe is coming out. Well, it's come out in 2023 or 2024. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, he he's still writing books. I gave that up like years ago. When did you write your EIGRP book? That was 98 or something. I remember reading that years and years ago, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, previous millennium. So we've got basic networking. Uh, we've got Git as number two, perhaps Python. Uh, sorry, Linux, Python. Uh, it, well, you, well, you didn't mention Python, but I'm assuming it's Python is the language that you're talking about, not Perl. Uh, well, Perl, of course. <laughs> there is no better language if you want to parse the show IPBGP printout than Perl. That's interesting. No, of course not Perl. Yeah, it's Python. This. Well, 
let's put it this way, Python seems to be the language with the lowest barrier to entry these days. Uh, if you are serious about programming, then probably Go or Rust. They seem to be, you know, more yeah. serious languages. Uh, I'm always missing the good old type languages like Pascal, where a variable could be an integer or a string or a pointer, but not all three in four different uh, lines of code. Uh, so I'm trying to bring that to my Python code with uh, typing hints and uh, type checker. And it's amazing how many errors that catches. So yeah, if you are willing to invest in a strongly typed language, do so. It pays off. Uh, your code will be better. Your errors will be found by the compiler, not by your users. Uh, so go for that. But, uh, you know, if you're looking for something easy to start, then yes, Python is the way to go. Ansible has always been like a, something that Python versus Ansible was a discussion a few years ago. Yeah, look at you. So Ansible, would you would you even recommend that as someone starting out? Or would you say, look at Python instead? Well, you know, it yet again depends on uh, how easy you want your life to be. Are you old enough to remember the ZX Spectrum? Yes. So... There was basic on ZX Spectrum. It had like five different commands. And uh, in the early version, it didn't even have lists or arrays as we would call them in those days. But, you know, you could program the space invaders with it. That's Ansible for you. <laughs> if you want something really simple, and if you don't want to deal with the, you know, how is that called? Undifferentiated heavy lifting. Like connect to the device, execute a command on the device, deal with passwords, deal with authentication, deal with threats, run on five devices in parallel, all that crap. If you don't want to deal with that, then Ansible is the way to go. And in my uh, lab building tool, I'm actually using Ansible to deploy configurations to devices. And I was thinking about replacing Ansible because it's a pain in the whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I was thinking about, you know, throwing it out so many times, but, uh, then I would have to deal with 20 different devices and I would have to test stuff on 20 different devices because we actually support that many devices with Ansible. It's like Ansible module, do it for me. I don't care. I just put together the configuration commands and Ansible does the heavy lifting. On the other hand, it's uh, slow, it's crazily stupid, it's limited with whichever way you turn. But you know, if you just need to push configs to devices, Ansible is the way to go. Yeah, we, well, we do all the hard work, you know, previously in uh, Python, so we generate the data model that is very specifically tailored to what the device should do. And then you just plug the variables into templates and push it out. And that's what Ansible can do. But any data manipulation, any hard work massaging data, any queries, any transformations, run away from Ansible, do it in Python. The thing you're talking about is that the BGP uh, project that you're working on, or is this another project as well? Well, you know, I started an open source project uh, three, four years ago. Yeah. So I always hated the GUI labs. 
the virals of the world and the GNS3s of the world, those things would give me the carpal tunnel syndrome. <laughs> I just hate, you know, using my mouse to connect devices together. So I always wanted to have something where I would just uh, create some text file and then execute one command. I'm, I'm a text guy, sorry about that. And have the lab running. And then people started saying, well, Vagrant, that's the way to go. And Vagrant with the proper plugin on Linux, it's really fast, it all works, it's great. So I said, well, you know, let's do it. Let's build one lab with Vagrant. And I wanted to create my DMVPN lab, which was like six, seven routers at that time. It took me like half a day to put together that Vagrant file. <laughs> because you are working with tunnels and it's like three parameters on this end that has, have to match the three parameters on the other end and you get one of them wrong and nothing worse and you get no error message. And so I said, well, there has to be a better way. And uh, that was like step 0 0.1 of uh, the NetLab project where I said, well, what if I would define the nodes and I would define the links and something would build the Vagrant file for me? And that was like a huge step forward. Instead of, you know, doing all that crap, uh, I have this simple tool that has nodes and links and the lab configuration uh, comes out of that and the lab is started and I have the devices. And then, you know what I hate even more than that? I hate logging into all the devices and typing in all the IP addresses because I always get them. Yeah. And so was, I was like, what if I would have some IPAM in there? What if I would have the address pools and then I would assign the prefixes to the links and then I would assign the IP addresses to the devices, to the interfaces. And then here we come to Ansible. Then I would create this initial device configurations Wait, you know, the crap like no DNS lookup because we are in the lab and this is the, the default username and uh, do logging to console, you know, all that stuff that needs to be done. And uh, I would create that for every device and then I would add the interfaces in the IP addresses and the no shutdowns of the world and the descriptions, push that to the devices. And then I would have an almost running lab. And then of course I got greedy. <laughs> I could do OSPF. Hmm. If I can do OSPF, uh, then I can do ISIS and EHRP easily. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're still not doing great. No, well, that's BGP, I hope. Uh, well, and then it was like, hmm, BGP. Configuring those neighbors is really cumbersome. And I always get the IP addresses yeah. and the AS numbers wrong. So now the tool takes a look at your lab and it says, oh, on this link, you have two nodes connected and they are in different AS numbers. So I will set up an eBGP session between the directly connected IP addresses. Oh, and these four nodes are in the same AS. So I'm assuming you want them to be connected with eBGP sessions over loopbacks, and I'm hoping you're smart enough, you already configured OSPF for that. And then it would build the full mesh of IBGP sessions, unless you said, well, by the way, these two nodes are route reflectors, and then it would 
build a perfect hub and spoke routes reflector topology. And then of course, you know, we couldn't stop there. So now it's MPLS and MPLS VPN and 6PE and <laughs> BGPLU and EVPN and VXLAN and segment routing and SRV6 and all the variants of EVPN and the VLANs and the VRFs and the Anycast gateways and HSRP and VRRP and I probably forgot about 26 all running on 20 different platforms from 10 different vendors. I wanted to mention that because it's it's Cisco, it's uh, Juniper, it's, uh, well, I mean, you've a whole bunch of vendors, right? Cisco, iOS, iOS XE, iOS XR, Nexus OS, ASA. Junos, uh, VSRX, VMX, VQFX, I think, uh, VPTX. Uh, Arista, Cumulus, uh, FRR on Linux, uh, Dell OS 10, Viata, Fortinet, uh, Microtic uh, version 6 and version 7. Probably a three other platforms that I can't remember. Oh, Nokia, SROS, and SR Linux. So basically, this is like GNS3 or CML or something like that, right? But it's text-based and it does a lot of the configuration automatically, whereas those platforms you have to drag and drop and then manually configure everything. Yeah, so uh, it's totally text-based. Although we found a tool that can do GUI. So you give that tool the description of the network and then it will create a web page and then you can click on the boxes and SSH into them. So if you need GUI, we have GUI. But uh, the whole thing is text-based. And uh, obviously there are uh, different uh, levels of support. So not all devices support all the configuration modules like some devices maybe don't have ISIS and some devices don't have VXLAN implemented, but it's pretty consistent. Like you can do 100% of the stuff on the core 10 or so devices. And on most other devices, you can do like 80% of the stuff, which means that you can effectively build a multi-vendor EVPN network with VXLAN and BGP and we even support running IBGP over eBGP if someone is crazy enough to want to <laughs> test that. And uh, you get a running lab with everything configured after a few minutes. And big question, how much does it cost? Zero. That's great. So it's on you, it's, I'll put the links below. Is it on GitHub? Where do we, where, where do we find it's it? It's on GitHub. It uses only open source tools. So the only thing you have to invest is some hardware. Unless you're running on Oracle Cloud, because <laughs> Oracle has forever free instances. All the tools we're using are open source. The other thing that uh, is a problem and there's nothing we can do about that are the vendor images. Yeah, so the good ones. Cumulus, freely downloadable. FRR, freely downloadable. Nokia SR Linux, freely downloadable as a container. You just put it in the lab and boom, it comes up. Uh, then you have the, oh, Juniper VPTX is now freely downloadable, no registration required. Then you have the sort of distant guys, that this would be Arista, uh, both container and VM. You need to register, but no strings attached. Cisco Nexus OS, the same thing. And then you have the bad guys. <laughs> Uh, Cisco iOS XR, Cisco iOS XE, yeah. the CSR router, iOS V, you can't even legally run it anywhere outside of viral. Uh, then we have the Nokia SROS where you have to talk with the account team to get the license. 
Then you have vendors that have the VM images, but you can't get them. So you really have to know someone in the R&D yeah. <laughs> to give you. But, you know, it's all supported by the tool. If someone That's amazing. Can, get, can get their hands. Oh, Aruba. We are supporting yeah. EVPN in symmetrical mode in Aruba as of today. That's great. We have, uh, there's a guy in Italy that does all the new stuff on Aruba. So he took like half a dozen weird platforms. He implemented Microtic, he implemented Viata, he implemented Dell OS, and now he's working on Aruba. So I've, for everyone who's watching, I'll put the links below. Um, mm -hmm. This is, I know Ivan, you've been working on this for years and it's amazing that you know, you're know contributing back to the community by making this freely available. So I really appreciate you doing that. I want to go back to top 10 skills. Uh, we, so we had basic networking, Linux, Git, Python. Uh, we spoke about Ansible. Uh, what, I'm assuming cloud is a big one, right? Absolutely. And it's another one of those low-hanging fruits because you know every single cloud provider will give you some free credits to play with. They will also take your credit cards, so you know, be careful. <laughs> yeah. Now I understand why they have to take your credit card because you know uh, they have to create some barrier to entry. Otherwise, people would be creating uh, would be creating a gazillion free accounts. Yeah. So the the credit card info and maybe the requirement that uh, you can't use the same credit card on 200 accounts stops the biggest scammers. Yeah. On the other hand, at least with Amazon, be careful because uh, there is no hard limit. Uh, when you burn through your free credits, uh, you will be charged and they will not work. There are horror stories of people, you know, being charged thousands of dollars yeah. out of blue. And then, yeah, Amazon support sometimes being helpful and just, you know, throwing away those charges and telling people to you know, be more careful the next time, but you can't count on that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Amazon has some free stuff. Azure has some free stuff. Uh, Google Cloud has some free stuff. Oracle, I was told, has some uh, forever free stuff. So yeah, if someone wants to practice networking, uh, take the Oracle forever free stuff and run containers. Running virtual machines in the cloud on another virtual machine is a problem because you need nested virtualization. And that works with Google and uh, doesn't work with Azure at all, if I remember correctly. And you need hardware instances on AWS, which is like bloody expensive. But if you work with containers and you can get Nokia in container and you can get Arista in container, and you can have cumulus in container. So you already have three different vendors. You can build a nice multi-vendor setup in a public cloud free of charge. And we, we didn't have this on our previous list, but I'm assuming we have to add it as AI. Yeah, absolutely. At least, you know, get to know your enemy. And I mean, it's, it's you're gonna want that on your resume or CV. Yeah, of course you have to have it there. Otherwise you're not seen as, you know, a serious individual. <laughs> Uh, last time you mentioned stuff like- uh, Prompt creator. Yeah, prompt creator. I love it. Uh, anything else? Because I've got some other ones that you mentioned previously, but this is getting more into like soft skills, but like application architecture was something you mentioned before. Any other like sort of skill that you think we should get? Well, soft skills. Actually learn how to communicate with people, uh, figure out how to listen and try to understand what people are saying. Uh, trying to figure out what they actually want is another skill yeah. because they will never tell you. Yeah. 
I, I love, you know, when I get this convoluted technical question, like, how do I configure this thing on this platform? Okay, I can probably tell you, but why do you need that? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, five emails later, we figure out that the poor guy has painted himself in the corner and then <laughs> he thinks that he needs a ladder to, claim, uh, to climb out. Whereas what he really needs is he has to wait for the paint to dry and then walk out and do it again. <laughs> I mean, I always ask this question, but it's important because there's a lot of people watching in the beginning of their journey or they're moving from, say, some other kind of sphere into into networking or whatever. Um, so it's still have value in 2024? Absolutely. I mean, as I said before, if you understand all the caveats and you know that this is not a sexy job and all that, uh, it can be a rewarding profession. I always loved working on networking and there are people who went into networking because they did want to become programmers, yeah. which doesn't mean today, unfortunately, it doesn't mean you don't have to know Python. I mean, do yourself a favor and learn some Python because, you know, it will help you. But uh, if you don't want to write code, 10 hours a day, then maybe networking is an interesting opportunity. Because you always differentiate between like scripting in networking versus being a proper hardcore programmer, right? It's totally different. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, we all say, well, programming, there's not, no such thing as programming. There are, there are people who write code. There are like people who are configuring VLANs. Anyone can do that. And like 80% of all the code written in this world, probably more like 90%, is like the VLAN stuff. The boring front end, back end stuff that just needs to happen. You have to code the thing that has been coded like 100 times, but uh, this company has slightly more red color in their logo, so the whole thing needs to be changed. You can call that programming if you wish. Uh, uh, you can call a VLAN jockey a network engineer, but you know. Then you have people who actually uh, write the hard stuff and uh, yeah, you can call them programmers or uh, what I would call a networking engineer, someone who actually understands what they're doing and can tell you what the advantages of this or disadvantages are of what he's doing and can explain the trade-offs. I mean, if you can't explain the trade-offs, you're not, not an engineer by definition. And then you have the architects or designers or whatever you want to call them. And you have them in networking, you have them in uh, software development. Because someone has to take a look at the big picture and someone has to say, well, we'll split this elephant into this hundred chunks so that we can eat it a chunk at a time. Someone has to do it. And you know, the, the person who has been, that has been changing the colors of the logo on the web page for the last 30 years can't do that. I love what you've said in the past. You said it's easier to be like, have multiple skills rather than trying to be the 0.1% in a specific skill. Yet again, depends on uh, your mindset, depends on uh, what you like doing. Some people like to focus on one thing and then they can become the world expert in one thing, like the quantum theory of gravity. Yeah. That skill is not transferable. 
you can know everything about the quantum theory of gravity and you still can't uh, fry an egg. Uh, on the other hand, you have people who, you know, are interested in many things. And if you're one of them, then yes, definitely. Unfortunately, due to HR reasons, you have to be stronger in one of your skills because, you know, they still want to put you in a bucket. So you have to choose what your like core skill will be. But then, yeah, uh, just explore around and whatever, you know, you find interesting, uh, either just go and do it because it's interesting, or you could say, well, where do I want to be five years from now? And I have these three interesting things and which one of these three things will help me get there? Because, you know, if you are a networking engineer and you want to become a senior networking engineer or you want to change jobs or something, then... Uh, Mastering automation or mastering cloud or mastering AI will help you get there. Getting a black belt in Taekwondo will not. Yeah. But it's interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about certs because um, a lot of people are starting, you know, not sure where to which certs to go for. If you want to do net, if you want to become a network engineer, it's still CCNA sort of the recommendation to start with. Probably, as much as I hate that, probably. Yeah. They have some useful value for you because they give you a blueprint yeah. what a vendor, remember, what a vendor thinks is worth learning. And half of that is actually worth learning and half of that is their marketing because they just want to, you know, indoctrinate you yeah. so that in five years from now, when you will be in a position where you can make decisions, you will buy their boxes. Yeah. That's why they invest in certifications. It's not because of karma points or, or you know, <laughs> trying to make the world a better place or whatever. So there's always uh, some uh, vendor uh, conspiracy theory <laughs> behind uh, certifications. They're always doing it for their own reasons. It's never for your own but as the thing is there, use it and uh, you know what, uh, get the blueprint out of that. Oh, these are the things that uh, a lot of people think I should learn, which is good. The second unfortunate role of certifications is that they are HR filters. So if you're in a position where uh, you're not known well enough so that you could just ask around whether anyone has any decent job or even better, someone comes to you saying, well, you know, we have this job that you could fit in, which yeah. is like perfect. So if you are in the job market and you have to send around a gazillion resumes and hope that one of them will stick, but you know what? Everyone else is sending out the gazillion resumes. So the HR person is looking at the gazillion resumes. So the chance of you being the one he is looking at is like close to zero anyway. And now the AI is doing it. Yeah. So anyway, they use certifications as filters yeah. because uh, there are tons of people totally unqualified for the job they're applying to. And the poor HR, HR person has to do the first selection and they usually have to throw away like 90% of all the applications without ever looking at them because there's so many, you know, now that we don't have to write the letter or use a typewriter to yeah. type it and then sign it and put it into an envelope and bring it to the post office and pay whatever, 20p to, to have it sent. Now, 
everyone is applying to everything. And so the poor guy on the other end has to throw away 90% of the stuff by definition because he just can't process it. The barrier to entry is just too low. And so they have to create artificial barriers to entry and certifications are one of those artificial barriers to entry. So if you want to be in this game, you have to figure out what the job listings are asking for and then you just go for whatever you think is achievable. And I don't know whether it's still CCNA, to, CCNA today, but probably it is. Also look at the low-level cloud certifications. Yeah. Amazon Associate, Azure, Azure whatever, uh, Google, whatever. Yet again, uh, do some market research, figure out which of the three big cloud providers is popular in your environment. It could be AWS in US. It could be Azure if you are in some European country. Interestingly, in some countries, Azure is more popular than AWS for whatever reason. So do your homework, figure out which one is most interesting in the local job market because they're all the same, honestly. Uh, go for that. Uh, just remove that barrier to entry and you'll learn something on the way. Does ECNA do something like AWS Associate? Uh, what about DevNet certs? DevNet has two things in it, right? Yep. Developer and networking. Yep. So if you don't know networking fundamentals, how good will you be at the DevNet? Yeah, exactly. Now I would say, yeah, absolutely do that. Yet again, do the market research. If your local market is not asking for this, yeah. then honestly, you can do it just for the giggles. Or uh, if you're interested in the stuff, just take the blueprint and uh, you know, make sure you learn the stuff that someone thought is worth learning, even without going to the certification. But if the local job market is not asking for whatever you're interested in, Either you have to change the job market or you have to invest some of your time into some other certification. When you say market research, you're basically saying go and look on job sites, right? So Indeed yeah, exactly. or whatever, see, uh, see what's... Yeah, whatever whatever's popular in your country uh, because it varies by countries. Yeah. And uh, particularly in Europe, you know that we have 20 different languages yeah. and uh, each language area has its own job sites or its own local variants of whatever. So yeah, you do the local market research. And also keep in mind that, uh, as someone said, the future is not he is here, but it's not equally distributed. Yep. Uh, and a friend of mine wrote about three geographies of IT in uh, 19, uh, in early 2000s, I think. And he said, well, you have the Silicon Valley yeah. and they are talking about AI and LLM and whatever today. And then you have the uh, US today, and uh, today they might be talking about automation. And then you get a Gartner report that says, well, 30% of organizations are doing any reasonable automation. <laughs> and you know that Gartner is talking to the big guys, so the small guys are not doing anything. Yeah. And then you have Europe. Uh, I'll just tell you a funny story. I was invited to a conference in one of the European countries. And it was like, yeah, sure, I can come. What would you like me to talk about? Hmm, I don't know. IPv6 or automation or something like that. I was like, dude, I stopped talking about that years ago because it's boring. Uh, but he was like, yeah, but you know, for us, this is this is still the bleeding edge stuff. Yeah. 
Good point. So just because we are talking about AI and uh, whatever, it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, in your local job market, anyone knows how to spell Python. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. You could be the only person that knows how to program net network devices with Python. Now, I, I think it's important that you differentiate between the hype cycle and the actually what's on the ground. And I'm glad you've said that. Um, so go and look at your own job market, look at the job sites where you are, see what skills are in demand. But as a general sort of like guideline uh, for networking, CCNA, and that rather than perhaps like Network Plus or some other certs from Arista or whatever, right? Yet again, Cisco still has the dominant market position. Yeah. I mean, I would uh, totally love someone like Cumulus Linux creating a uh, networking on Linux certification. Yeah. I actually uh, brought the idea to them a decade ago at least, and even had a development team who could do it for them. But like, mm, yeah. Yeah. not interested, uh, whatever. Yeah, that would be ideal. I mean, and I would make it open source and uh, I would do everything to, you know, uh, <laughs> destroy CCNA. <laughs> and uh, it would cost you like 100 quid or something. And you would have the competing material freely available online. But nah. And the, the question I always ask, is it worth going for CCMP, CCIE? It, really depends on whether you are, you know, the one skill person or the broader yeah. view person. Obviously, 20 years ago, I would say, yeah, yeah, absolutely go for a CCIE. Yeah. But A, Cisco doesn't have such a dominant position anymore. There are many alternatives. Uh, I have no idea how CCIEs are doing in the job market because uh, there were generating too many CCIEs, but you know, you, there's nothing you can do about that. If uh, something is valuable, everyone goes for that yeah. and then it stops being valuable. Uh, the biggest uh, generator of the CCIE needs were the Cisco partners yeah. with uh, discounts uh, tied to the uh, number of CCIEs they had on stuff. So I have no idea how that's doing right now. But yet again, do the local job research, uh, figure out what the sal average salary is for which uh, CCNA is a requirement, what the average salary is for which CCNP is a requirement, do the same for CCIE, figure out how many jobs are out there, figure out how much time you will need, because getting a CCIE can take people years. I love what you said, Ivan, that you know in the old days, it was like this was the path, right? CCIE or CCNA, CCMP, CCIE. But now, like you said, you either go that that route or you become more of a generalist and look at um, other <laughs> technologies because the world's changed a lot now where someone's expected not just to know writing and switching, but they have to know a whole bunch of stuff, it seems. Well, there is that. Uh, and there are also many comparable paths. Yeah. I mean, uh, AWS has something like yeah. that. Maybe not today, but in a few years, uh, every organization that's using Cisco today and has the need for a CCIE, which means they are pretty big, they're either a Cisco partner or they are a big shop. They are or they will be using one of the big cloud providers. 
So Ivan, why did you decide to go into networking rather than like writing code or like cybersecurity? Well, I was doing all of that. Probably not as much security. We were building firewalls in those days, you know, the two Unix boxes and two routers or whatever the recipe was. Uh, networking was, I found, I always found networking more challenging than uh, the regular programming. As you know, writing code for accounting systems is boring, yeah. but there's money there. Yeah. So I didn't write code for the accounting systems. I was writing code for point of sale terminals. So all the duty-free shops at the borders of our little country were running on my software. Oh, wow. But you know, that's utterly boring. So first I had to develop a programming language so I could make it less boring. <laughs> Compared to that, networking is just a totally different dimension. It's real time, so you have to deal with events that happen, you know, uh, asynchronously in real time, not, not like uh, scanning the cigarette boxes yep. for barcodes, which is totally boring, trust me. Uh, and distributed systems are way more complex than uh, whatever commercial software ever will be. Well, in those days. Today, obviously, everything is distributed. And everyone thinks that you just throw some HTTP magic into the mix and everything works until it doesn't. And then you need the networking engineer. Ivan, you were telling me like offline that your lab project has actually evolved into something else and you were mentioning BGP, right? Yeah, exactly. So the tool that we've been discussing, uh, it's a lab setup and configuration tool. Yeah. So it's an infrastructure project. It gives you a working lab pre-configured with whatever you want to have pre-configured, but uh, it doesn't tell you what to do. So if you want to practice, you know, you have to dream up the scenario, yeah. you have to dream up the lab topology, all, yeah. all that stuff. Uh, on the other hand, if you want to get into some new technology like BGP, for example, and BGP is my favorite because that was the very first course I developed for Cisco in uh, 1990s. Nice. So I'm always fond of those days. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a complex topic and there are so many moving parts and people get lost in that complexity. And now imagine that like going to a gym and you want to train just this muscle because this muscle is where you think your problem is. And then you take the weights and you do 20 repetitions of this particular muscle. Uh, I created the BGP labs that use that infrastructure project, but you can use them to train just that one muscle. And because we have the infrastructure project, you start with pre-configured lab and it only, and it describes what's in the lab and what you're supposed to be doing and why you're doing this and where you will use this in real life. And then it tells you now you configure, for example, the first one is, now let's configure eBGP session with your service provider. And because I don't believe in monkey labs, monkey see, monkey do, yeah. I just say, well, now you go and find the command to configure a BGP neighbor on your device. And I will not tell you what the command is, but if you're doing the right thing, this is what you should see when the BGP session is up and running. That's nice. And then you have two BGP sessions and then you have uh, iBGP and you have eBGP and you have BGP weights and local preference and MED and communities and route filters and prefix filters and ASPath filters, ASPath prepending, you get the idea. Right now, 20 labs 
for 20 individual muscles to train. That's great. Uh, plus 20 more coming because there are so many things that uh, people were just throwing at me. Because, you know, I wrote a blog post saying, hey, guys, I will do this. And any ideas, what should we go in there? It's like, <laughs> oh, and this and this and this and this and this. And this. <laughs> That's great. I'll link it below. Um, Ivan, again, I really appreciate you giving back to the community. You know, not just wisdom, like what we're talking about now, but like also that kind of stuff where the next generation can learn so much easier than, you know, us old people that are struggle. Yeah, I hope it will be helpful. So you guys, you let me know. Ivan, sorry, just before we end off, the question that always comes up, and you've given great advice on this in the past, but just for people who are, are new to this, old, old question, how do I get experience without a job? Because I need a job to get experience, but I can't get a job if I don't have experience. Well, you know, we did t uh, talk about those BGP labs, yep. do them. Uh, we did talk about uh, free credits on all three major cloud providers, use them. Um, there are always simple things you can do, like, uh, oh, I want to set up a web server in the cloud. That will involve getting a cloud account, starting a VM, figuring out how to configure Nginx or Apache or what have you on that one, and uploading one file and setting up the usernames and passwords and creating the virtual network and mapping the inside IP address to the outside IP address. So you've learned a lot just by doing that one simple thingy. Yeah. Or if you want to, you know, set up the, those BGP labs, you will have to uh, create a Linux instance, hopefully in Oracle Free Cloud. And then you will have to install some software on that Linux instance, and you will have to download the Arista container and uh, install Python and set up this and that and that and that. That's experience for you. Uh, not good enough? Don't have any ideas? Well, I will publish uh, the lab exercises for my online courses now that I am officially going off from the commercial market. And uh, I will not give you the solutions. I cannot give you access to all the materials you need, but you will have the lab exercises. Uh, for the cloud, for example, they are as simple as, well, start one VM. Start two VMs in two subnets, and they should talk to each other, but only on this one port. Well, now, use the second VM as the backend server for the first VM. And so when the request comes in, the first VM asks the second VM and replies with the answer. And there are like <clears throat> six, seven different exercises, you know, building on one another. That's amazing. Go through those. And you can redo them on AWS, on Azure, on Google, on Oracle. And you will know more about those four clouds than many networking engineers out there. Participate in an open source project. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter if all you're doing is fixing grammar of people who can't type English. You will figure out what branches are. You will figure out what a pull request is. You will figure out what a commit is. So you will learn Git. Not good enough? Find some nonprofit around you. Everyone needs, needs a helping hand. If you can spare two hours a week, that's two hours a week. You will get two hours a week experience doing something. Always document what you're doing. There are people doing tons of stuff and they can't even tell you what they're doing. Write blog posts about what they're doing, what you're doing. Oh, don't do it on LinkedIn. Doing, do it on GitHub pages yeah. because that will require that you master Markdown, that you master Git, that you master some 
content management system like Hugo or Jekyll or MKDots or Sphinx or Read the Docs, whatever. You will master one system that can set up a static website. And then when you go to a job interview, you can say, well, guys, I did this. Yeah. Ivan, you've been in this game a long time. You've seen a lot of changes, a lot of hype, a lot of unicorns, whatever we want to call it. What's your advice looking back to, say, your younger self or to someone who's starting out? What, 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 looking back over all these years, what's your advice? Don't believe in unicorns. As always, invest in fundamentals because they never change. TCP is 40 years old or something. Ethernet is 40 or 50 or whatever years old. We are still using the same frame forward on Ethernet that we was we were using at 10 mega, megabit speeds. Now we are at, what, 400 gig? It's still the same frame forward. It's still the same forwarding mechanism that we were using when we were at 100 meg. So we have 4,000 times higher speeds, but we're still using the same principles. TCP has improved and yeah, now we have quick and all that, but you know, it's been around forever. Yeah. Internet is still running on this 30 year old stuff called BGP. Yeah. So fundamentals are there to stay. Make sure you master them. Uh, second, invest in soft skills. You might be the smartest person in the room, but uh, if you're not listening to others, your value is zero. Yeah. Next, master presentation skills. If you can't persuade people, and I mean persuade in a good way, yeah. not in uh, you know sleazy marketing yeah. way. If you can't persuade people that your ideas have value, you will not get anywhere. Yeah. If you can't persuade your boss that you deserve a raise, you will not get a raise. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yelling at your boss will not help you. Presentation skills will. <laughs> Um, Ivan, I just want to stop right here and talk about your website, IP Space. And there's been some changes and there's some good news for people who want to watch content for free, right? Well, yeah. The news is that I'm effectively winding down or by the time uh, you'll publish this, my commercial operations will be over, uh, which means you won't be able to buy anything from ipspace.net anymore. But A, all the content will still be there. And I will be working on new stuff because I get bored too easily. And all the old stuff will be uh, available indefinitely or until, you know, my credit cards expire. <laughs> so the blog will be there. The website will be there. The uh, NetLab project is uh, getting more and more contributors. So we'll keep doing that. I will probably work on other lab frameworks, not just BGP, there's uh, EVPN, there's VXLAN, there's the cloud stuff. So I will probably work on that. And as you mentioned, uh, all the videos that previously required registration are now totally free to watch uh, with no strings attached, no reg wall or anything, thanks to Cloudflare because they have no egress fees. The reason I had to require registration was because I was on AWS S3 and uh, the S3 egress fees were like 80% of my cloud bill. Wow. So Which, by the way, is why I needed that URL signing thing that I had to solve in Perl. So for everyone who's watching, go and get the free content on Ivan's website. Ivan is one of those people in the industry that you know a lot of us really respect and has huge experience. There's a complaint often on YouTube that people say the content is too light. So if you want really 
yeah. hardcore information about technologies. Please go and visit Ivan's website. I've put it. Uh, I've put the link below. Go and show the support. Ivan, really want to thank you for making that freely available to everyone who's watching and you know empowering the next generation. Ad free, and with no complaints about ad blockers. Ivan, I really want to thank you. You know for giving back to the younger generation or people mm -hmm. who are moving into this field. Thank you so much for not just sharing technical knowledge. You know, you've written books over the years. You've shared so much on your website and your blogs, mm -hmm. but you also like giving like older person advice, I would say, or like the elder advice to the younger people or people who are starting out. I really want to thank you so much for sharing. Well, you're most welcome and thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.